Hi, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. Genesis 22 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, which makes sense. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took of him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his, said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Paul, if we could have the next bit on the screen. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to them from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it instead as a burnt offering instead of his own son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And then Abraham stayed in Beersheba. I don't know if you remember getting your first Bible, but I got mine on Christmas Day when I was nine years old. I was well excited about it. My elder siblings had done like the Bible in one year and stuff, and I think I was a bit jealous that like they could read it and understand it, and I didn't have anything of my own. So I got my little Bible, and I was well excited, and I would read it before I went to bed every night, because I was a diligent and earnest and nerdy child. (laughs) And the only problem I had with reading my little Bible was that I'd get really cheesed off, that I'd forget bits, that I'd be like, oh, this is so good, and speaks to all of my worries that I have as a Um, (laughs) nine-year-old. And I'd be there, and I'd forget it all. So what I did to like, help with this is I got myself a little green highlighter and I went through my little Bible and I highlighted everything in green that was really nice and spoke to all of my concerns that I had as a nine-year-old about things that nine-year-olds care about. <laughs> and then I went to New Wine and I sat in Boulder Gang, which was like the little tent they had for the year five and year six, as Rob is nodding his head. Love it. <laughs> and the guy in Boulder Gang 
stood up to the top and did a little talk about the dangers of highlighting your Bibles. <laughs> Bear in mind, I'm nine, right? And he went from the front. The problem is, and it was like what Luke was saying a few weeks back, the problem is, is that if you only highlight the bits of the Bible you like, you end up worshipping a God that is a God that you like because you'll go back and you'll reread the bits that you've highlighted that you like and then you'll construct this image of God that's only the green bits that you like and then you'll only worship this God and so we don't understand the true nature of God, only the God that we are a fan of when we first read our Bibles. Bear in mind, I'm nine, right? <laughs> I'm nine. But I was really worried about this and quite challenged by this. So even though they moved on to, like, gunging and, like, whipped cream people into people's faces, I was really <laughs> earnest and scared and quite hurt by this. So I thought, because I was precocious... What I would do is get a red pen and a red highlighter and go seek out the bits of the Bible that I didn't like. And I would go, with my little red pen, all the firstborn sons are killed in Egypt, I'm there, highlighting it, reading it, focusing on that. I just want you to imagine if you're like a 13-year-old and you're invited to your youth group, and you were there and you were like, I can't wait to come to, you know, flirt with a few people, play a game of splat, learn about God. I don't know what you guys did when you were 13. <laughs> And then you just see this guy in the corner, knelt over a Bible with a red pen, going, all of the women and children were killed in Jericho. <laughs> just like whispering to himself. Like way too emotionally intense. And then I grew up a bit more, thankfully, became a little bit less emotionally intense, depending on who you ask, and found a yellow pen. And my yellow pen was things I didn't know. So we had green, which was bits of the Bible I liked. We had red, bits of the Bible I didn't like. Yellow bits of the Bible I didn't understand. And what I realized was that most of my reds were actually yellows. Stuff I didn't understand, stuff I didn't like, was stuff I didn't understand. And the reason I tell you about my emotionally intense but quite earnest backstory is because when we read Isaac's sacrifice, I think we're led into this idea that there are so many different ways we could take this. When Ben spoke to us about the Good Samaritan in the small group video, we would have been shocked if he ended it by going, to be fair, the religious leader had somewhere to be. Like, he did earn his money, so he didn't really need to give it away. You're kind of on a motorway, aren't you, where the end point is going to be generosity and social justice. Whereas I think the thing with the Isaac sacrifice story is we're a bit like we're at Spaghetti Junction, where we could go in so many different directions, we could do so many different interpretations, it doesn't make sense to choose one and hammer it home and for only 20% of the room to feel like they're connecting to it. So what's what we're going to do to, like, do this talk is we're going to have our little green junction, which is like the bits of the Bible, the bits of the characters of God that we can see through this that we respond more positively to. We'll have our little red junction, which is the bits of the characters of God we find a little bit more uncomfortable to think about. And then we'll have our yellow junction, because you might have read that and gone, what the heck is going on? God's just asked someone to kill their son. And then gone, ta-da, you don't have to. <laughs> so that will be our yellow section. So that's be how we will talk about it. So if we can start with the green, with the little green junction, and it says, your only son whom you love. So when Jamie introduced to us the Abraham series, he spoke to us about biblical foreshadowing. And this is the idea that the Bible is some textual work that makes sense the entire time. So because it's God-breathed, because it's spiritually understood, all bits of the Bible, even though it's written by so many different authors, work together as some coherent narrative that God has inspired and that God has worked together. So, when we spoke about Abraham in the first week, we spoke about how this pointed towards Jesus. And we can look at this story and also see how it points towards the gospel. So the gospel, if we don't 
know is the idea that God created the world and it was perfect, and then humans sinned and messed it up. So God sent Jesus, who was 100% man, but also 100% God, who lived a perfect life and then was sacrificed by God on the cross. And then three days later, Jesus rose again, and through the cross we have redemption and love and hope and forgiveness. And when we look at the Isaac sacrifice story, we can see so many little textual references that are pointing us towards this story. So you might have noticed that it's a dad and a son, and obviously Abraham Isaac mirrors the fact that it's God and Jesus. You might have noticed that Isaac took a three-day journey to get there, and obviously Jesus died for three days. And you might have noticed that there was reference to the Lamb of God being provided, and when John the Baptist first met Jesus, he said, here is the Lamb of God etc 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 it even goes down to like the language used specifically like in the hebrew there's a word called yashid which means one and only so when it says whom like there it says your only son whom you love it's the exact same hebraic word that's used in john 3:16 when it says for god so loved the world he gave his only son so we can see that it's all part of a grand narrative that's pointing us towards jesus and the reason we can sit in our little green junction flying off the m1 in that direction is because it's pointing us towards hope and pointing us towards forgiveness. And also, I think the fact that when we look at it, we see that it's a humanized element to it means that we can think about it more in terms of what God would have had to go through. Because I think we sometimes think of God as some form of like nebulous cloud without emotion. But if we can see like God humanized through the Abraham story, we can see that Abraham had to go through the turmoil of thinking he was going to sacrifice his son for three days and the extent of that and the extent of the pain of that. And we can link that to what God would have had to gone through with Jesus and the pain of that and the extent of that and the depth of that and turn that into thinking about how much he loves us and how much the cross would have been a symbol of how much he loves us and cares for us and wants us to be in relationship with him. So we can sit in our green juncture and think this is flying us towards the gospel and this is a story about hope and freedom. But I think if we ended there and we didn't touch anything else, you'd be a bit concerned about the bit where God said, kill your son. (laughs) And we can't really end it there because if this is a happy and clappy service, what about the bit where God said, kill your son? Which is why I think we need to go to our red bit, which is why I'm going to walk over there and stand this. (laughs) I'm now at the red juncture. It was miles. Um, So in our red juncture, we realise that we can't sit and stand and say that this is all about hope and freedom, because there's parts of this that we find that we're not as comfortable with. There's parts of this that aren't as happy. And like what Luke said a few weeks ago, and the guy said at New Wine, in a really inappropriate service, was that if we don't deal with the bits of the Bible that are uncomfortable, we don't deal with a God that's real. Because the reality of God is it's not going to be stuff that we constantly know and understand and get to grips with, because that wouldn't be a real God. That would be a God of our own understanding that we've projected onto him. And part of the reason this is uncomfortable, I think, is the first line, which is God tested Abraham. Because we think quite a lot about testing and associating that with the enemy. We think about like Jesus when he was tested in the wilderness for 40 days, and that the enemy was trying to tempt him there to disobey God or jump off a cliff or whatever he was trying to do. And we think about that in terms of the enemy trying to tempt us to, trying to test us to tempt us, But God here is using this as a test to try and increase Abraham's faith. But the way he does it, I think we find is a little bit uncomfortable. And this would have been uncomfortable for Abraham too, because 
he lived in the land of Canaan, and the, Canaans had, the Canaanites had their own gods, and their gods did demand human sacrifices. But Abraham's like, I don't believe in a god of human sacrifice because of the Cain and Abel story. I believe in a god that didn't like that. He doesn't say to kill. I believe in the god that Holly spoke about that set up a covenant that said, I'm not going to destroy the earth again. Killing is something that God doesn't like, this Yahweh doesn't like. The Canaanites' gods were more comfortable with that. And the problem that Abraham's got is he's not really questioning whether God said this. The problem Abraham's got is he knows that God did say this. So he's got to wrestle with God's goodness because he's like, I believe that God was good. And now he's asking me to something. I fundamentally believe God would make God not good. So when we think about that, and we think about those kind of questions, and we have to try and work out what can we learn about the character of God through these kind of thoughts, there are two things. I think the first thing is that God is telling Abraham, you need to focus on the giver and not the gift. Because Isaac was obviously the gift that God has given him. Like Abraham has gone to God and goes, these are the desires of my heart. I really want a son. I really want descendants. And God has gone, I know you really want these things, but you need to focus on me and not the things I'm giving you. I think in like charismatic circles, this kind of makes a lot more sense as well, because God really freely loves and enjoys giving us gifts, but they need to be pointing towards him, and we need to make sure we're focusing on him and not the joy and the peace and the love that we get from that. I think worship's quite a good example, because I love worship songs. I love worship music. I love singing worship songs. But I can't be enjoying them because they're good tunes. <laughs> they need to be focused towards God, otherwise I'm not, you know, worshipping Hillsong United, which who are great, but like... <laughs> and I think this is because God's jealous, isn't he? He's jealous for our attention. He's jealous because he's worthy of it, not jealous in a bad sense. He's jealous because he wants to give us a hun- he wants us to give him a hundred percent and to be our sole focus. So if we're distracted by the gifts he's given us and not focusing on him, we're not making sure that all of our focus is on him. And in the same way that Jesus says you can't have two masters, our master does need to be focused on God. But it's also the second element that we also find uncomfortable is this idea of sacrifice, that there is some form of earthly cost to following Jesus that we don't really like to think about. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments, not in a manipulative sense, but in an idea that if you really love me, this will cause some conviction in your heart and then you will follow my commandments. But that does mean giving stuff up. And that does mean turning away from sin. And it does mean that there is some form of sacrifice that we have to go through and that we have to abide by if we're going to enter into a relationship with God. And it might be uncomfortable, but it is something that God continually demands of us because we don't know enough and that God is enough and we need to be turning ourselves towards him. So that's our red juncture. So we've got our green juncture, which is pointing us towards the gospel. And it's all about hope and forgiveness and down there. And we've got our red juncture, which is all about sacrifice and testing and making sure that we're eyes are on God and not the gifts of God. And then we've got our yellow juncture, which is the bit about what God actually asks Abraham to do. And he does go to Abraham, take your son, whom you really love, and he does say, the one you really love loads. And if I was Ishmael, the other son, I mean, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> but like, the problem we've got with this is like, if this was a personal practical application and we ended it on the sacrifice, 
if Luke came up to me and went, Toby, I feel like I've had a revelation from God, and he's asking me to take my firstborn up the top of a hill and kill him to demonstrate my faith, we would be so much closer to asking Luke to seek professional help than we would to be telling him to do it. And that's not because we haven't got faith or conviction, it's because we've got some form of context that we know means that he shouldn't do this. So we've got this tension, haven't we, between we need to sacrifice for God, but also what is God demanding of Abraham here and how do we understand that and the picture of that in our day-to-day lives without leading to some quite uncomfortable theological positions that I don't think God is trying to teach us. And there's a really good explanation of this that I don't think is right, but I think is really interesting, by a guy called John Van Eerswick. And his big point is that Abraham didn't actually pass the test. That the test was actually about Abraham coming to God and trying to wrestle through the ideas. The idea that the test was about dialogue. In the same way that Kat spoke about when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham should have come to God and gone, what is it that you're asking me to do? Why is this? Justify this. And the idea that the wilderness is this place beyond our understanding that we need to go to God in and step into. Because when there's stuff that we don't understand in the Bible, we can either run away or we can move further into. And his argument is that Abraham should have stepped into that place of uncertainty and tried to wrestle with God there. Now, he's not right. I mean, he's not right, because, well, in Hebrews 11, it says Abraham's great because he has loads of faith, and he thinks that Isaac's going to be raised from the dead. But I think it's a really interesting way of explaining our dual relationship with God, because there is an element to which we do need to step to God in those places and dialogue with him. Because there's an element to which our values isn't there, in terms of if we feel really uncomfortable with what God's asking us to do, is it because our values are wrong? And our instinct that's telling us to act a certain way is just out of whack, and we need to challenge ourselves and deal with that? Or is it that what we think God's asking us to do is wrong? Is it that Luke is just suffering from a delusion in relation to the thing about him sacrificing? (laughs) Not just generally, not just him. Or is the answer what Abraham actually went for, which is greater faith? There's a guy called Kierkegaard who said that the only way to understand this story is to suspend any form of logic and have faith with God throughout it all. Because we can't stand here and go, A plus B plus C plus D equals E, and therefore the story's all wrapped up in a nice bow, and it all makes sense, and we can go along with our days really happily. And the argument is, is that we need to have a greater faith that God is good, despite what we don't understand, despite what we don't know, despite what we can't wrap our heads around. And that's Abraham's answer to this story, isn't it? His answer, we find out in Hebrews 11, is that there is faith that Isaac would somehow be raised from the dead after the sacrifice to fulfill the promises. And Abraham didn't know that God was going to do that. And then it turns out God didn't do that. So Abraham was also wrong. The thing is that, like, we need to have some form of faith that's beyond our understandings and beyond the comforts of what we logically try to understand. And there's a way of wrestling with that, not only in going forward in dialogue, but also in having faith at the same time. And so that's our yellow juncture, which I get is a bit of a question mark and isn't really neat and tidy, but our understandings of God are never going to be that neat and tidy, and I think we can find relief in that as opposed to finding frustration in that, because if we could sit here as a church and completely understand God, we'd be in real trouble, because God needs to be more complicated than our own 
understandings because he created the entire universe, created a logic for the entire universe, created a Bible with 66 different books that are all textually interwoven into the whole time, and that needs to be beyond what we can understand. And our faith does need to be beyond that. And I think also, this is why the idea that when I was 15 and sitting there with my green and red and yellow doesn't really make any sense. Because if you try and weave all these threads together in these junctures, we can separate God into different characteristics, and we can understand the characteristics of God in each place, but we can't understand the character of God until we bring them all together. Because we do believe in a God that's 100%. That's 100% good, that's 100% a shepherd, that's 100% a king, but also 100% a judge, and also 100% jealous, and also 100% worthy. And where we're left is that we need to take this uncertainty that we've built up, and we need to take it to Jesus at the gospel. Because the gospel is actually at the heart of each of the different junctures. Because if we go to the green, obviously we can see the gospel clearly because it's in the hope and the future and the redemption. But if we go to the red and we think about sacrifice, the gospel's there in the sacrifice because the gospel is Jesus' sacrifice on earth. And the gospel is about we need to turn away from our sin in response to what has been done to us. And in the yellow there's a gospel as well because the gospel is a plan beyond our understandings that we might not understand the gospel fully but we need to have faith because of what has been done to us and so that is where we're kind of left with this picture of Jesus but with a lot of this tension a lot of this uncertainty and I think as we invite the worship band back up to carry on playing and we move on with our service it's kind of what do we do with those feelings that are hammering up inside us because some of them will be instinct and conviction and some of them will be spiritual because the Holy Spirit will be in the room and he will be moving and he will be meeting with us. So in our response, if I could ask those who are able to stand as we move into a time of prayer and a time of worship, this isn't going to have some form of like neat resolution. This isn't going to have a thing which is all going to bring us forward in some form of union, but it's about our individual understandings and individual personal struggles with this passage but also the things that are going on in our own lives so if I could just pray Father God we thank you that we are here today in a place where we can meet with you and we thank you for your son and the gifts of forgiveness and hope and resolution in that and we thank you that there is a personal to you and there's an individual that you know us individually. But we also thank you and praise you that this is put against the might and power of you. And we thank you that the Bible is a perfect example of the fact that it meets us at the personal. It meets us in the individual stories of every single person in the Bible. But we know that the Bible is some massive work. And that there is a grand narrative there. And there is both a personal and a might between the two. And we thank you that your spirit is in the room and that he is moving. And we thank you that he is stirring stuff up in each of us. As we move into a time of response, I wonder what you're feeling. And I wonder what the spirit might be communicating to you. Because it might be that you're sitting quite relevantly in the green form of juncture. And you might be sitting there praying that I want more intimacy with God. And I want to make sure that the gospel is connecting to me. And maybe it's the first time you've heard the gospel or maybe it's not, but it's hitting you in a different way. And in that space, you just want more intimacy and you want a deeper relationship. 
Or it might be that might be that something in the sacrifices communicating to you. And it might be something about that challenge. And you might be wanting to pray into discernment and context and putting your eyes back on God and not the gifts of God. Or it might be something in the whole thing about trust and about going to God in dialogue and having faith in God despite the complex problems in our lives where we don't know where God is moving. And it might be despite all of these questions, you still want to step forward in faith and you need help in doing that and you want the Holy Spirit to be behind you doing that. So as we move into worship now, I just pray that God will be with us and be working with us. Amen.